Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Purple Ponderings with Pankaj. Today on our show, we have Dave Wexler from Comcast Ventures uh, with us. So, Dave, before we get going, do you want to just share a little bit about your background for all of those people who may not have heard of you? Yeah, of course, I'd love to. So, first off, I'm actually with Comcast. Our Ventures group is a different group, so I'm with Comcast, the parent company. All right. Um, but in terms of my background, uh, I was uh, I recently joined Comcast. Well, about almost four years ago, so I guess it's not that recent anymore. But prior to that, I was a 25-year uh, tech entrepreneur. Uh, most of my uh, entrepreneur activities were either in e-commerce or connected home. Um, I've been a big fan of IoT, Internet of Things, and connected uh, technologies for um, about 20 years. I had a startup uh, in my first connected home in 2001. Um, but I've been doing a, a variety of e-commerce and connected home startups along the way. Um, I joined Comcast about four years ago, as I said, specifically to um, try to help Comcast, who's a big global company. I should give you a little background on Comcast quickly. Um, we've got about uh, 28 million subscribers to primarily internet, video, and voice, as well as home security across the U.S. And we recently bought Sky, who's our European counterpart. Uh, with another, I believe, uh, 9 million uh, internet-connected uh, subscribers and maybe another 10 or 11 million video subscribers. So we've got a global footprint, probably upwards of 40 million subscribers between internet, video, and different services. Internet's our core product, and I was brought on basically to start thinking about new ways that people would use technology like the internet to build out their lives and connectivity in particular. And um, at Comcast, very specifically, I focus on some of our exploration in new markets like insurance and specifically around connected products and opportunities in insurance and how the technology might evolve those markets. Excellent. That's, uh, that's a great introduction, Dave. And uh, I think a lot of that is, uh, you know, I've, I've certainly known about it. So right at the get-go, let me put a little curveball. Share something about you that most people in the public world don't know about you. Uh, I'm big, I like to fly fish. <laughs> fly fish, all right, okay. That's cool, so that's something new that we've learned about you, Dave, thank you for that. Right out of the gate, I love it. <laughs> uh, absolutely, because, you know, uh, this is about keeping it real, right? So I think you, yeah. you, you, know, you and I have spoken about a few times and our connected passion for sort of the connected place, the opportunity of IoT and sort of, you know, there's this potential of IoT and then there's the reality of IoT, right? In terms of its adoption and monetization and use cases. And so, and then there's a little bit of a gap there. So uh, let's start with going deep down and just sort of broadly, if I were to ask you to share your perspective on, you know, your perspective on IoT and how you see it playing out especially, you know, going forward now, five years, so to say, post-COVID, right? That would be that would be really interesting. So IoT, or let's just, let's just start at connected anything. Um, you know, the reality is everything in the world can be connected and will be connected. And I don't mean advanced devices, right? Like there's nothing in our lives that won't have a microprocessor at some point and the internet will be ubiquitous or connectivity will be ubiquitous. And it's not necessarily through traditional means. I mean, you're seeing lots of plays with 5G or satellites and all different kinds of new ways to connect devices. 
So I think everyone who's interested in technology can just assume that everything will be connected and everything will have a, you know, a brain in it. So it can be connected from there though. I think it, there's no limitation on what we can do. I mean, there are realistic limitations around the businesses in the way that they work today, like insurance. There's limitations on privacy and security. Um, there are limitations on, um, you know, the way people feel comfortable with these devices. Um, for instance, phones today can track a tremendous amount of data. I love sharing that data if I get value. I have my phone tracking me where everywhere I go, everything I do. My wife is terrified of all the things that I share, but I don't care. And Google knows another know a tremendous amount about me and make my life easier because I openly share all this data and I enjoy it. And that's not for everyone. I don't think it should be the default position. I think you need to opt into these things. But similarly, anything connected or IoT has incredible promise. And I, I think that um, you can't be encumbered by what you see today or what you know today, because the reality is, is that in a year or two years, or even today, I mean, it's, it's all there. It's just what do businesses uh, want to you know, provide or take advantage of? And what do consumers feel like they're getting their money's worth in providing that? And how do they feel comfortable? So I think the new world is extremely connected um, and probably, probably pretty different than what we're used to today with exchange of information and services on top of it. I think it's gonna, I think today will look like the starting line. We move out three years from now, it'll be just such a different place. Yeah, yeah. Do you think COVID has impacted any of what was happening in, in this field or not? Absolutely. I mean, digital interfaces for sure. Um, speaking from the perspective of working at a big company, there were many things that we've had on our roadmap for a long time to do. And COVID required a lot of those digital interfaces to be built more quickly than we originally had anticipated. And I think it's a fantastic, I mean, not COVID, COVID is not a fantastic thing, but there's a fantastic silver lining of what's happened here where, um, you know, digital buy flows, not only for selling a product, but um, launching a product, servicing a product. Um, I think every organization has had to gotten, you know, much more streamlined in terms of their online capacity. And that acceleration drives innovation, right? Like in the last three months, it became table stakes that you could interact with your customer in a digital environment. And the bar got raised so high, so fast, that now the next bar will be even further out. So I think we'll look back and again, a silver lining of this will be that COVID forced you know, new ideas, new thinking, or at least it forced a roadmap to come to fruition much faster than anticipated which in turn created a lot of new innovation. I'm excited. I, I really think um, for all the badness that's happened with this, I think we'll look back and we'll say that technology as a whole became much more of an enabler of kind of human services in the process. And I think will allow us in a lot of ways to have a life that can, you know, hopefully distance ourselves when bad times happen again, because we'll have these advanced tools that kind of came from this period. Right, right, right. You know, I'm curious to get your perspective on one one aspect of IoT, which you know is obviously manifesting now, but it's something which I've heard a lot, especially in like my conversations with enterprises, right? Which is the amount of data that it churns, right? So just by the nature of the technology, 
there's a lot of data, right? That it's that's coming out, and um, one of the challenges, especially in the insurance world, is they people don't want to spend time and energy figuring out a what does this raw data mean to them, right? And figure out a way to actually, you know, bring out the analytics and the insights and sort of the actions. And at the end of the day, that's all that enterprises care for, right? What's the outcome? What's yeah. the action? How can I just do some things which is backed on data? And so that's been a kind of a question that comes up a lot in what's your perspective on that? And sort of the different strategies that people could, should think about. Yeah, so first of all, um, ironically, I think, well, the way that it worked originally was, I think there was purpose-built sensors. And I think that the cost and complexity of these sensors was so high that people looked for purpose-built solutions. But these sensors have become so inexpensive and so easy to use that now one deployed sensor might have, you know, five, 10, 15 data points that they're constantly collecting, right? Like say IoT in a home. Every sensor might be collecting temperature, humidity, accelerometer data, uh, a listener for like an alarm, water leak detection, I mean, uh, moisture, all, all these different things. And, you know, you can now build these multi-purpose sensors for very little money. So we went from an extreme where each sensor was very complicated and expensive to now very simple and highly purposed. I think ironically with that, a lot of enterprises went to, I want all the data, I want all the data, give me everything. But the reality is, is that most are not capable of supporting that kind of data. So they almost get data overload, right? Like I think many enterprises say, I just want access to all the data and then I'll take care of it from there. But the enterprises, especially big companies, are really not ready for that kind of data. If you look specifically, say, at insurance, there's lots of innovation labs that are testing sensors with all kinds of capabilities. And I think the name of the game for them in their minds is flexibility, right? Like, I want the opportunity to take advantage of any of this based on the way my market might evolve. But I would actually argue that that's hard for a large company to actually deal with. And I'm, I'm seeing that firsthand in my experiences today. Um, I would have thought as an entrepreneur that exactly what I just said, like you'd want that flexibility. But I think that as enterprises look more and more at this kind of depth and variety of data, they'll say more and more, you know what, I only really can functionally use some subsets of this data. So I prefer that you either give me only those sets of data. Maybe I still have access to the other stuff just in case I ever want it. But what I really can use are maybe these three data points, or better yet, a summation of what the data points mean, right? Because discrete data points are interesting, and for all we know, there's great science in all this data that's you know, way beyond my understanding. But I believe that being a, a vendor in the space, perhaps, that could take important data points that are correlated and then outputting to a customer like, hey, I have 100 data points that I'm analyzing every couple seconds, but I have five key data points based on what I think your business is. And then I have a summation, which I actually score out to you as the what I believe to be, say, a risk factor or something you want to watch for. Um, I think that's ultimately where the value might lay. I don't think the market's there yet. I, I do think that right now there's still this appetite for give me everything. 
But I do, in my mind, think that in the evolution of this kind of marketplace, the ability to um, summarize a variety of kind of core data points, maybe augmented with all the other ancillary data to make it more reliable. But that's where I think the value becomes from, a say, a, a third-party partner providing it to an enterprise. Because in the end, enterprises have so much data at this point where it almost becomes, how do we use all this data, right? So hopefully that answered your question, but I, I see kind of this evolution happening where um, it becomes much more focused on, um, you know, of uh, a solution versus just kind of like a bunch of data. Got it, got it, got it. And so by the way, your answer is a great segue to my next question, which is, I mean, you know, the, what in your perspective is are sort of the constraints or the holdbacks, right? And in terms of the adoption uh, of this, especially in the insurance context, right? So there's a lot of things that is going, at least from our standpoint, is going slower than what we thought it would be. So, you know, you talk to a lot of the insurance companies, you're part of a large enterprise yourself. What do you think are some of the constraints that are, are, are keeping this technology not moving or flying off the shelf, as they say? I think oh, there's a, a variety of constraints. I think um, the old days there was a perception about reliability, um, and I think we've successfully as an industry kind of put that to bed. Um, you know, you're going to get false positives, false negatives with any of this technology, but um, you can certainly avoid loss. You can certainly drive engagement. You can certainly drive customer satisfaction, even with the technology as it is in market. So I think that kind of um, concern has been put to bed. Um, I think what's realistic now are price points. Price points have dropped, but the ROI is still hard. You know, the current model in IoT for property and casualty insurers is generally, we, um, you know, there's an expectation that PNC carriers will give away technology in return for customer acquisition. And most of the technology is still expensive enough that it's still hard to justify the economics. We'll come down there soon, though, and I don't think that'll be a you know a long-stained problem. Um, the next one is um, just consumer interest and adoption. Um, I think consumers are still starting to learn that there's a um, you know an opportunity here, and they don't completely get it. Um, and I think insurance companies, because they they are highly regulated, have a lot of encumbrances about the way that they can deploy products and engage with customers. They have to be sensitive. Like for instance, they may want to offer you a special rate, but they can't necessarily penalize you for not doing it. And these are regulatory overhead burdens that, again, regulations have good intent, but sometimes they are complicated to roll out. So marketplaces kind of have to like slowly get their arms around these things. I think actually probably a very good illustration is the telematics market. So auto insurers using the OBD devices. Um, four years ago, they were in market, but very few insurers were ready to deploy to consumers and very few consumers were interested in products. You're gonna monitor my driving. And then a lot of carriers said, we'll only give you discounts if you're a safe driver. So you won't be penalized if you're an unsafe driver. And then, you know, all the safe drivers start saying, hey, yeah, I'd like to try that. Like, I feel I'm very safe, so why not? And I can't lose. And that kind of created a market where as price points dropped, drivers said, I'll take that product for free if I can win some discounts. 
And now you're seeing almost every carrier offering these devices as of one of the plans to the point where you're seeing new carriers actually deploying phone apps that don't even require hardware. And, you know, underwriting happens via your phone after 30 days. So I think as consumers adopt and consumers feel better about it and price points drop, then innovation accelerates and then a market becomes, you know, a real market. I should note too that there is still quite a bit of regulatory overhead too with rates. In the end, anything's going to happen with carriers adopting new rates, whether they're penalties or incentives. And ultimately, filings for new products and insurance do take a long time. So a carrier has to file a rate. They have to get approved by departments of insurance. That usually requires historical data, although many departments of insurance recently have become more amenable to taking kind of a flyer on, sorry for the noise, um, kind of taking a flyer on the fact that um, some of these technologies will obviously avoid loss. And, um, you know, at least giving a carrier a chance to test a product before they are scrutinized too, too much in terms of a new rate. I think that'll facilitate adoption as well. So I, I think we've had a lot of kind of like technology, price point, consumer adoption and carrier fear, uncertainty issues. I think they're all kind of being met. COVID, unfortunately, I think will slow some of that down just because realistically carriers have a lot of pressure right now dealing with you know, uh, unexpected losses to a pandemic, which is a reasonable problem to certainly deal with right now. But I think as we work through those issues, we'll come back to an IoT environment that most of the barriers that were pre-2020 have been knocked down. And now we're kind of going into a new market where those who want to start really getting more commercially ready, consumers, I think, will be ready to do them as well. Plus, I, don't know, I think consumers are actually more prone to start using IoT devices in their home because they've been at home playing with these technologies and they may feel a little bit more comfortable with them. So I think there's a lot of opportunity when we look on the backside of COVID, probably in 2021, but I don't think it's far away. Got it, got it. So, you know, if you could change one thing about making IoT or connected home mainstream in our industry, why, what would that be and why? It changed one thing about what about making it? What uh, making this mainstream, right? So you went through four or five different reasons what's holding it up. But if you had some magical powers, right, you had superpower to take one of those challenges away, which one would it be and why? Uh, I think that... I think that insurance in the United States, um, well, listen, IOT, I wish everybody wanted IOT um, because it's great, it's cool, and most importantly, it can save you money and help make you more protected. But I recognize the fact that most people are not like me or you, right? My house probably has several thousand dollars of IoT equipment, which is taking me a year and a half to install and still often has mistakes. You know, I go to bed and I say goodnight to my voice assistant and still with regularity, there's some problem and I have to still get out of bed and still do things. And I think it's hysterical and I think it's fun, but um, I don't think that's a normal consumer belief. So then we need, partners like insurance companies or others 
to say, you should adopt this technology because it helps our business model and we'll facilitate that. And I love that, I'm excited about that. But insurance companies, as my example, have a high level of regulatory overhead. So I would love to say something like, oh, I wish there was less regulatory overhead there. But the reality is regulatory overhead is designed to protect you and me and does a fantastic job of protecting you and me. So it's hard for me to be critical of any component. You know, it's funny, maybe I'll look back at our own industry and, and poo-poo ourselves, right? Like, let's talk about a typical IoT developer. Most make complicated technology that doesn't necessarily work out of the gate and is hard for consumers to adopt. I love it. I think it's part of technology adoption. There's nothing wrong with it from you know yours and my perspective, but for the mainstream customer, that's, that's annoying, right? So like, and it's expensive. Like I've, I've bought many things that have gone out of business, and now I'm stuck with a brick that doesn't do anything. To you know, zero customer support because it's you know ten people in a shop that can't afford customer support to interoperability issues. These are all things that I think in early market you have to deal with. And um, I think that that's been a big part of the encumbrance as well. So maybe I'm gonna, maybe I would normally fault insurance companies or, car- or regulators, but I think to be more realistic, I'd probably have to fault IoT manufacturers as a whole, but I don't, I, but I'm not critical because I love it. Like I think the, that's how innovation happens. I just think though that we have to be realistic, right? Like if we're gonna introduce a $300 doohickey and the doohickey only works, you know, um, 80% of the time, we can't, we may, early adopters like us may love to play with that stuff and be perfectly comfortable with it, but we can't expect the mainstream. And I'll actually give you one more example, you know, CES, who knows if we'll ever go to CES again, I, I hope we do, but I love CES when um, devices make their way to the kind of offshore production area and there's 500 knockoffs. So you see these great brands in the main hall, but then you go to those offshore halls that they can manufacture knockoffs very inexpensively. And that to me is like, this is where the competitive pressure starts. When you know lots of suppliers can bring really good quality product to market, then you know that the products mainstream enough now it's ready to have a conversation with big commercial deployers so like that to me is exciting to see that and that to me is where i feel feel like okay like a door lock or a temperature sensor or a fire detector or whatever a camera is now ready for mainstream look at cameras i mean cameras have become so sophisticated in the last year and a half with ai and machine learning all this stuff that a year and a half ago only the most elusive startups were raising $100 million for these capabilities. And now it's software-based and any camera can add it. And it's so exciting to see that stuff. So similarly, you're going to see that kind of innovation. And that's probably where the hyper um, adoption rates happen in these markets. You know? Got it, got it. So if I were to just sort of, sort of summarize, you know, I, I'd say the one thing that what you're saying is if we can somehow magically make them cheaper and simpler and easier to sort of start using, uh, that would be a, a good inflection point. Yeah, and, and my one caveat to the word cheaper is, it's not so much cheaper as much as it needs to just get to ROI, right? Yeah. So like, awesome. you know, like turning the lights on and playing jazz music when I walk home is really nice, but there's no ROI in it, right? 
Um, but you know, there are ROI inconveniences, like you know, when I lay in bed knowing that my door is locked so I don't have to get out or the temperature set to the right degree so I don't have to get up. But those are even that, it's still kind of you know, funky. But when the ecosystem as a whole says, yeah, Dave, your house is a lot safer because you have it, we'll give you insurance discounts or you know, maybe I leave less equipment, like safety equipment because other safety equipment is subsidizing it. For instance, maybe a video camera in my house gives me peace of mind or I can watch who enters my house when I'm on vacation, I'm unlocking my door to the UPS guy, but it's actually not the UPS guy or whatever it might be. Um, I, I think that it's not necessarily cheaper, it's just making ROI work a little bit better. Got it, got it. All right, so with that, we're gonna move into what I call the fun section of this podcast, which is getting to know you a little bit more. So uh, what do you think, Dave, is your most proudest achievement and the biggest learning so far? Uh, well, as a career entrepreneur, 25 years, um, I'm certainly proud of being an entrepreneur for 25 years. Um, I love what I'm doing now. I'm, I'm very blessed to have this opportunity. It's been an incredible experience. Um, and I'm, uh, you know, loving every day of it. Um, but being an entrepreneur is really hard. Uh, you know, I had a mixed track record as an entrepreneur. I had a couple of tanks, a couple of sideways, and uh, one fantastic exit. Um, you know, I think that, um, once you live the life of an entrepreneur, which has zero glamour, I think a lot of people think that it's a very glamorous uh, life, but we can say there's zero, <laughs> zero glamour. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's ironic. But um, you know, I, I think that you have it in you uh, and the opportunity to believe in yourself and, and to find others who believe in you. And you know, I've raised a lot of money and I've, you know, uh, had all kinds of experiences. I'm, I'm very proud of that. It's not one experience, but it's, you know, the, the aggregation of all those. I'm, I'm proud that along the way I employed many people. I, you know, made money for people. Um, I gave people life experiences, including myself, that I think are in a lot of ways um, unreplicable. So I'd certainly say that that's, you know, my, my proudest experience, even though it spans 25 years of ups and downs along the way. Got it. And the biggest learning, one learning. Oh my God. I, I don't even know where to start. Um, I mean, listen, uh, just staying in, in line with being an entrepreneur. I mean, there's nothing harder in the world. Um, and you know, I, 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 I believe that like confidence, for instance, like you have to be the most confident person in the world to be an entrepreneur, but you can also drown on your confidence, right? Like fortunately we're in a world where pivoting and reevaluating your business plan is still very acceptable. It actually wasn't in the first 15, 16, maybe 18 years of my entrepreneurial life. Like you, there was no such word as pivot. And like on the, the, the fallacy was that, um, once you create a business plan, you ran at it and VCs would tell you, oh, you know, I, I sold my second company and, you know, I, I went at the idea that I had four years prior and I nailed it baloney. Like it, it never happens. Um, so, you know, in the 25 years of being on for and, and candidly, even a big company like Comcast, um, I've had to have the confidence to know that I'm right, but also when data shows you you're wrong to say like, I, I'm wrong. 
you know, uh, so we have to make a pivot now. Let's, let's reassess. And what I love about the market today is I think that there's a real acceptance for that with entrepreneurs. Um, and I, I think that that's, you know, I'm a little bit older, a little bit wiser now, and I've learned how to balance it. I probably can't articulate it exactly the way that I see it, but my whole life's been a balance between having the absolute confidence to tell people, put money behind me, risk your career behind me, bet big on me, you know? But at the same time, I might be wrong. Now, if I'm wrong, I can make an adjustment and I, I can surround myself with smart people to help me make those adjustments, um, but have confidence in both, you know? Um, and I think now that I'm at that point in my life and I really understand, um, it's not so much the idea as much as the execution and understanding when things are going right, when they're going wrong and being honest with yourself in that process. But to be blunt, I still have to assess that every day, right? I, I still make decisions that sometimes I have to say, like, I feel right, but am I right? You know? So. Got it. Got it. Got it. Excellent. Um, who would you like to hear from? So if you were to, you know, sit in front of your computer, I want to see these episodes. What are some guest speakers that you would love to have me talk to? Um, well, uh, Specific to insurance or in general? Oh, in general, absolutely. In general. Well, I mean, this will sound cliched, but certainly Scott Galloway is big right now. He's certainly a well-known guy, and he's got a lot of great opinions. And uh, probably a hard, hard act to get right now, but <laughs> yeah, he, 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 he will bankrupt my startup in a second, right? If I was on the show. great idea, but I'm not doing it right. Now. But in an insurance perspective, have you have you spoken to Matteo before? Yeah, Matteo has been on our show. In yeah. fact, it was the first or the second episode. He's uh, great, obviously. Oh, you know who's fantastic that you might want to talk to? Nigel Walsh. Have you ever talked to Nigel? You know what? I uh, I've, I know him because we used to work together at oh, Capgemini. and I. So yeah. I'll get him back. Yes, yeah. I've spoken to him. He said yes, but. Yeah, no, okay. you should tell him I said, tell him I sent him. I, I think he's great. Uh, I, I really, I, I, I like, he is a fantastic podcast himself and he's got some co-speakers on that that I really love. Um, I, you know, I think, I don't know how you've done with carriers and people. Oh, you know, you should get it some entrepreneurs, of course, right? Like, have you talked to a soft or uh, from, uh, from Hippo or uh, people like that? So not Asaf, but we've had Aviad on the podcast, okay. and then we're also going to get Mike Gould. Gould yeah, Mike's also. fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, right now, just because you've talked to them and Hippo is well-known, maybe you should be thinking about some insure techs um, like, um, like Shift, for instance, uh, the fraud detection company. They're great, and I'm happy to introduce you to someone there. Um, there's... Um, uh, Snapsheets, they're another great one that's, you know, I think a lot of people are talking about. Um, I don't actually know anybody over there, but I think there's some great ones. I look a lot at insure techs, so more enabling tools for carriers. I think that, you know, I think the renaissance right now is happening more probably in claims um, and online engagement. Um, certainly, oh, uh, maybe policy admin systems like a Duck Creek or a Guidewire, they could always be great to talk to as well. Um, you know, these are companies, by the way, that if you look at just the way that a big carrier adopts, um, 
you know, many of these companies were at it for many years before carriers felt comfortable with the technology. And I think that there might be some real wisdom um, on kind of the buying process of carriers and how it does take a while before they feel comfortable. Um, and then, of course, from an IoT perspective, we recently acquired Notion, and um, they may be a good company to talk to from a device perspective. Um, so, you know, I think there's a lot of great stuff going on in IoT and carriers and insurance, um, and you can probably get a lot of different perspectives along the way. Oh, yeah, and you might also want to consider some regulators. I don't know who would be considered most kind of um, uh, forward-thinking right now, but I, I suspect that there are certain states that are aggressively adopting IoT like American Family seems to be doing quite a bit right now in IoT. Uh, they may be a good carrier to talk to about some innovations um, and kind of pushing the boundaries a little bit uh, with their state regulators as well, like in Washington State and others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. I think so. We've had some like in carriers we've had. So, you know, um, Hippo and Kin and Church Mutual and we've had Mateo and Rob and some of those people. I think right. you're idea about insure techs is a good one. I don't think I've had many insure techs. So Snapsheet and uh, Fris, they're both actually local yep. in Chicago. Yep. I know them. Okay, uh, cool. Yep. Ideal regulators. Good ideas. Yeah. So I think I have a few. Yeah, things. I'm happy to come up with context for you too. Yeah. Yeah. I love, uh, I'll ping you separately for those connects. All right. With this, we come to the absolute last section of our, of our show, which is, right. I'm going to do a rapid fire round, Dave. Okay. I'll give you two options. And you have to, um, and you have to give, uh, you have to pick one of them and tell me why. Okay. Okay. So baseball or football? Football. Superman or Spider-Man? Mm, Superman. Yeah, but why? Oh, sorry. Football because I grew up in New England. I was a huge Patriots fan, which everybody will hate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and now I'm debating, do I follow Tom Brady or the Patriots? I'm actually a little torn. Um, Superman, because I'd love to fly. Got it, got it. Golf or tennis? Tennis, I grew up playing tennis, and I'm the world's worst golfer. Got it. Uh, Iron Man or CrossFit? I don't really like either. I'm gonna go to CrossFit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, Iron Man or Captain America? Oh, uh, I don't know. Captain America seems cooler. Got it. And then paper books or ebooks? Uh, ebooks. I, I'm such a fan of not wasting and trying to reduce my footprint. I think ebooks are great. Got it. And then vacation spot, Iceland or Hawaii? Yeah, I gotta go with Hawaii. Iceland's like a place I'd love to see, but right now the thought of laying on a beach and not worrying about COVID would just be fantastic. Got it. I'm assuming this is outside the COVID world. Of course. Of course. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, and then uh, Scarlett Johansson or Penelope Cruz? I don't know who the second person is, so I'll go with Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> All right, got it. Oh, Penelope Cruz. Oh, Penelope Cruz. Uh, Penelope, yeah. I think they're both fantastic. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. See, those are my favorite. That's why everything that you see here is I have a confusion about. That's why I ask people to tell me, you know, what they like. Um, excellent. So with that, we uh, come to an end of this show. This was a fantastic interaction and great inputs. 
Dave, any final words that you want to say? No, but I, I do want to say, though, assuming that most of your audience is primarily in insure tech and, and startups and, you know, insurance, um, I believe so much in this space. I mean, I've dedicated my current career to it. Um, it's, it's, it's hard and it takes time. You know, I have had conversations about this before. It's, it's a slow moving industry, but it has incredible potential. And I really think that what we are working on now will transform the way that these markets work. And besides the financial return, I really believe that um, there's like an incredible world and social impact of this work. Um, I believe, um, you know, the way that we all collectively can, can change this market is so dramatic and so intense that the kind of flow through economics to all consumers, to all businesses will be tremendous. Um, I think we can create a world where risk is understood differently and profiled differently and paid for, protect against very differently. And I think we're all benefactors in that process. Um, and I, I just really see this being uh, a market of incredible upside economic opportunity, but also, as I said, you know, social and, and just world impact. So I really want to encourage people who are thinking about exploring opportunities here or currently in this long haul process of just kind of keeping your head high and just keep running at it. Because I know that tomorrow's world in this space will be so different than today's. Even if you go back two years, it's already so different. Um, it, we're at the forefront of major, major change. And, you know, I'm a guy, 1994, I had my first internet startup, right? Internet startup. My parents were begging me, can't you be a doctor or a lawyer, you know? And in 99, I sold my first internet company. And they, were, they went from pretending like I was a doctor or a lawyer to saying my son's an internet entrepreneur. I think we're on the same. And look at how much the internet has changed the world beyond the economic return, just Everything we do now, I think, is driven by the internet. So I, I really think the impact is almost as great here. So I just encourage everyone to kind of keep going at it and believe in it. Be nimble, you know, be flexible, but you know, be committed because I think this is an unbelievable opportunity in front of all of us. Great, great. Thank you. Thank you for your Thank time, you. Dave. Uh, appreciate it. And with that, we come to an end of this episode of Purple Ponderings. We'll be back very soon with another another guest. Till then. Stay safe and stay healthy. Bye-bye. Thank you again.